So the reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11, which I think is in page 723 of the Church Bible. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, for all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Wow. Um, it's been a couple of years since I spoke in front of people. And I actually suddenly standing here feel quite nervous. Um, so let's, let's just pray, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Father, I pray that you would... You would help us to hear from you, Lord, today. Just give us ears to hear you directly, we pray. Just guide us and lead us now. Amen. So my name's Mike. Um, I've been coming to All Saints for many years. Hello, if I don't know you. Lovely to see you all. So this is the second week um, of our Advent series, Love Came Down, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas. 20 days to go. And as in The Simpsons, Bart Simpson says, aren't we forgetting the true meaning of Christmas? You know, the birth of Santa. <laughs> Don't we as Christians often feel that our role is to be going around telling everyone that the real meaning of Christmas is the birth of Jesus. But then what happens? We all get sucked in. You know, having been desperate to get those Black Friday deals, we then panic about presents that are stuck somewhere in Germany. We freak out that we haven't got a new Christmas jumper this year. And then we get miffed because your sister isn't inviting you around this year. So you've got no choice but to go to the family with the annoying brother-in-law. That's all completely fictitious, by the way. <laughs> um, there are problems with it all being on YouTube now. Aren't there? <laughs> but don't worry, we all tell ourselves, Christmas is about Jesus coming. That's right, isn't it? 
Well, the point of Advent, it's not to be a countdown for Christmas that stresses us out, but it's a time for us to prepare, to make sure we are ready. Now, the second Sunday of Advent, if we're following you know, the, the Anglican tradition, which we are, we're focusing on the biblical prophets. And the prophets, they fit into the Christmas story because they foretold Jesus' coming. 600 years before he was born, which is pretty extraordinary. However, when we spend time reading the prophets, they rarely make us feel all nice and cuddly inside with Christmassy prophecies, but they actually make us feel really uncomfortable. Well, this morning, what I'm going to be planning to do is to share what I've found interesting as I've been delving into the prophets over the last few weeks. And we'll look at one famous bit that Jessica kindly read for us in Isaiah, where we can hopefully find encouragement as we prepare ourselves this Advent. So in the Bible, we've got 17 books that are referred to as the prophets. You know, we've got the major ones, either Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We've got the minor prophets like Micah and Joel. But 17 books, you know, it's a fairly big chunk of the Bible, but I have to admit that I don't spend a huge amount of time reading them, except, you know, for some carefully selected bits. And why is that? Because I find it hard. You know, it's tough language. It often seems to be quite negative, quite angry. There's lots of imagery that's really hard to understand. So how can we engage with this? Well, to help my understanding of the prophets, I've been guided by far more wiser readers than myself and have grouped the messages into sort of two key themes. And the two themes are that firstly, prophets put a voice to the hurt, the grief, the sin, the injustice of the time. But then that secondly, the prophets create a picture of an alternative fulfilling way of living that creates hope and this is where the advent bit comes in and tempting as it is you know we we could just leap to that bit and the easier bit but I do think it's really important that we first consider the writings that we find so difficult and challenging the era that the prophets um, were writing and speaking out that the era that they were living in was a time of real turmoil and pain for God's people, the Israelites. It was a time that had led them, the Israelites, to being in exile in Babylon, away from their homes. Their amazing temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. And we find that God's people, with some exceptions, had generally abandoned God. They'd given up hope. They were spiritually numb I like that word numb, and I was thinking about how to explain it better. Now, if you've heard me talk before, you'll know that I always try and sort of push in a reference to my football team, the mighty Watford Football Club, into all my talks. And I've got to make a confession today, because if I'm honest with you, there was a period when I really didn't care about Watford, believe it or not. You see, what happened to me was that we got up into the Premier League, you know, all exciting Premier League, woohoo. And then we just lost week in, 
week out, kept on losing. And that was not fun. In fact, it was pretty miserable and we ended up going down. And the next season, what I realized was that I, I didn't want to experience that again. I didn't want to have to go through this process. And therefore, it meant I didn't actually want us to win, which would lead us to going up. And if you then don't want your own team to win, well, you know, what's the point? So I stopped caring. It didn't matter to me anymore. I didn't even know who they were playing sometimes. I didn't know what the score was. I was just tired of it, weary of it, numb to it. Now, I can assure you that's all changed. Um, And my passion for Watford is as strong as ever again. I went with my family for the first time in a couple of years yesterday to see us lose. (laughs) Now, that is quite a fairly... That's a trivial example, but you might you might be able to picture this idea of numbness in, in more serious areas of our life, like in relationships, which can be you know, really exciting at first. And there's a danger, if you don't work at them, that they can end up in the same way. Or dare I say it, in our Christian life, in our faith. It's so exciting when we first decide to follow Jesus. But over time, as the challenges of day-to-day life build up, it's got harder. No longer excited to spend time with God. And it all gets a bit numb. What happened with God's people, the Israelites? They'd been attracted and hooked up into a pattern of life which no longer aligned with God's plan for them. The plan that God had set out for them. As a result, God's people had lost their passion for God, had become numb, and as a result, had abandoned God altogether. What we read with the prophets, and the best way to describe their response, is that they're mourning and grieving for what's happened. Now, I've had a really sad couple of weeks. Um, I know a lot of us were very sad about Sue Thomas passing away, And you may have picked up in the prayers that also my father-in-law died 10 days ago. So as a family, we're experiencing the power and the depth of grief, and it's tough. And it's that space which is so hard, emotional, and painful that the prophets are entering into. And often there's no words to describe that, and that's often why they use this imagery. So we see lots of laments in the prophets where they're crying out about the pain and the hurt they've experienced. And there's also elements of anger towards God. So that's why it can be a hard read. For example, from Jeremiah, let us lie down in our shame. Let our disgrace cover us. Now it's not the sort of readings we hear in the school nativities. You know, imagine a kid dressed as a shepherd. In comes a brightly decorated angel and we've got this little narrator who reads out, God has doomed us to perish and given us poisoned water to drink. It's not going to work. The prophets are declaring that God's people abandoned God and they're describing the destruction that followed as a result. And they don't hold back in the language So it's raw and tough. 
And this would have been incredibly brave and radical for them to be voicing out this. And it would definitely have not made them popular at the time. Because by by describing such a stark way the condition of society, they are challenging those who are in power. They're challenging all those who benefit. But they're also challenging God's people who've abandoned God in the process. You know, these are the people who escaped slavery from the mighty Egyptians, who built this temple at Jerusalem, and now look at them, the state of them, despairing, weary, without hope, tired, numb. So this is what the prophets are mourning and grieving with their vivid and pain-filled language. The clear message, there is something deeply wrong. What would the prophets be calling out today? Well, I don't think any of us would have difficulty in identifying features of our society that the prophets would challenge. And in fact, we need to be listening out to the prophets in our midst who may be doing so already, crying out, grieving and mourning. I mentioned Black Friday earlier on, you know, estimated £9.2 billion spent by us Brits you know, we love to accumulate, feel under pressure not to miss out on some bargains, so we accumulate and accumulate. We're in the midst of a mental health crisis in the UK, you know, made worse by COVID. But we know anxiety is so commonplace. Similarly, fear, fear of climate change, the political situation, challenges of migration, COVID, We know that fear can be exploited. Then there are the culture wars, highlighting how divided society has come, how conflict online is just the norm, division, hostility. You know, I could go on, and it's it's very depressing, isn't it? But we could pick out verses from the prophets that would speak directly into each one of those situations. So they may be new forms, but it isn't really new. And the prophets give voice to what is happening, and they grieve. But they also call out the apathy and compromise of God's people, which makes it incredibly uncomfortable. Uncomfortable then, and uncomfortable now. Now, we, we may all love to have a bit of a moan and a whinge, But what brings power to the prophets is that they're crying out to God and they're crying out because they know that God listens. I've heard their cry, God says in Exodus. And the prophets know this. When God's people cry out, he hears. So I really think that the prophets continue to have a huge role for us because now, my experience right here, right now, 2021, I know that in my friendships, in my workplace, in my own life, I struggle, feel, feeling incredibly tired, regularly encountering weariness. We're encountering despair in society, a lack of hope at times, that numbness. And this is not how it's meant to be. The prophets are articulating something I think we can feel deep inside. But we know that when God's people let out a cry, 
and God hears. I have heard their cry. So fortunately, I said earlier there were two themes. And the prophets don't just give voice to the hurt and the misery, but they also present a different way. A way that gives us hope and that energizes and stirs us into action, leaving numbness behind. So now we can get into that Advent passage because, yeah, it's Christmas. Because the prophets also express a future that would have not even been imaginable to the Israelites in exile in Babylon. What they present may not seem imaginable sometimes to us in our own situations, you know, in the midst of our grief. So let's look at Isaiah and this passage that we had read this morning. So it starts in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, God says. Speak softly and tenderly to them. To find comfort in a time of exile, that's surely not possible. But that's what's proposed. And verse 2 goes on to say that all the horrific experiences that we've been describing, they're over and done with. So maybe to truly experience this comfort described by the prophets, we need to have understood and experienced the grief, the separation, the pain, the sin, our condition before God. Now, I was saying that my father-in-law passed away recently, and I know that my wife, Helen, can testify to an understanding of the comfort of God over the past week as she mourns the loss of her, fun, her, the loss of her father. You know, a comfort that is really hard to describe, but like I was saying about grief, a comfort that is deep and powerful, I mean, Isaiah does have a go at describing what this comfort looks like. We can see in verse 11, we read that the Lord leads his flock like a shepherd, gathering lambs in his arms, close to his heart, gently leading those that have young. It's an image of a tender, loving God. And we know that this picture has its fulfillment in Jesus The imagery of Isaiah is brought alive in the Christmas story. The angels who proclaim his birth, they do so to the shepherds. You know, his birth's in a stable. And then when we read Mark's account of Jesus' life, um, when he'd begun his ministry, it's described that he would have compassion on those he met, describing them as sheep without a shepherd. Time and time again, we read about Jesus having compassion and then bringing his love and comfort. The prophets are pointing towards Jesus as the response that when he hears our cry, he has a plan to address it. I mean, we also see in Isaiah uh, what happens when God is out of the picture and we rely on human strength and ideas. it, It says that people are like grass, we see in verses 6 to 8, you know, and grass withers. Faithfulness is like flowers. 
which sounds great, and then we discover that the imagery of the flower is that it fades and falls. They're much like a Christmas tree in January. But God's word, in contrast, God's word endures forever in verse 8. But not just that, God comes with power, a mighty arm in verse 10. Now we can be confident when we put our trust in him. It's reliable, steadfast, strong, and it has the power that we know has defeated death, death on a cross. So where do we put our security? What do we prioritize? In the grass and flowers of humanity, which we know will fail, or in the enduring, powerful God. There's plenty more imagery. It's an amazing passage. Verses three and four, Isaiah evokes the role of John the Baptist when he pictures valleys and mountains being flattened, preparing the way for a highway for our God. It's completely transforming the world as we know it. And what's coming on this highway? We read in verse five, it's the glory of the Lord. The Israelites knew this would be fulfilled in the form of a Messiah, a king. And Jesus was that king. He may have come in a different way to how they expected, but he came to restore God's rule on earth and to challenge and transform. And we see in the accounts of Jesus' life in the Gospels, time and time again, that people are amazed, filled with awe, astonished. They fall on their faces. They're utterly astounded. His life evokes some extraordinary, passionate response in those who encounter him. It's not about a head knowledge thing. It's something that's deep and life-changing. They were lost, and then they were found. Numb, deadened, now alive. Weary, but now using the imagery of Isaiah um, later in chapter 40. Weary, but now have renewed strength. So much so they can mount up with wings like eagles. We had that picture this morning of, of taking off this giant rucksack that we've been carrying, that have been pulling us down and placing it at the foot of Jesus on the cross. That weariness is gone. We have that renewed strength. And how did the prophets know this? Well, they were holding on to the promises of God. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So Isaiah is picturing God back in his place, on his throne, amongst all the turmoil, the despair, the fear, the violence of the time. So this is who we're preparing for at Christmas. God in human form, in a baby's form, but coming to bring something that will transform. So we're right when we say that Christmas is about Jesus. And we've got 20 days to make sure we're ready and prepared so that we don't just say it but we can celebrate it. So two things to finish for our Advent prep. And I do think first it's the tough bit to reflect on the prophet's message. What resonates for us? Is it about society? Is it about us? 
What is it we need to, to cry out to God? What do we need to give voice to? What of the culture around us has taken over? Where are we contributing or aligning ourselves with it? And it's destroying us. We are withering like grass. And that may lead us to a place of repentance. But we know our sin is paid for. But we may need to call this out, give expression to the hurt we may be carrying, the grief, the pain. And we remember, I have heard their cry, says the Lord. I think only then can we move to the second challenge. Because I think we need to be in that place of mourning before we can truly receive God's comfort. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because where we truly experience the astonishment of those who encounter Jesus, it's in those places we can then receive. But then we'll be energized out of our own numbness, stirred in our faith, excited once more, able to serve, but also to share with others to comfort those around us, both here in church and outside of church. So do we know the comfort of God? The Holy Spirit often described as the comforter. We have been, Jesus left us with the Spirit. Have we been able to experience him in a deep way that moves us, that restores us, that fills us? Well, if not, then we are invited to hold out our hands and ask him to come, to bring your loving comfort right now. Come, Lord. If you're able to, could you now just stand? And what we'll do is we're going to ask for his spirit to come now. And we'll just use the words of Isaiah as he pictures, pictures it in verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms today. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. Bring your love, bring your peace, bring your comfort today. Amen.